Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion Podcast. I wanted to try something new today. We'll see how this goes. Um, I may end up just deleting all of these off of uh, off of the various places where they're showing up. But um, what I wanted to talk about today is how Mormonism uses the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to try to do this live because I was hoping maybe there'd be a few people who would join. Uh, and you're welcome to put comments in wherever you're seeing this. And I'll... Uh, try to interact with you as much as I can. But, excuse me, I'm trying to put together an episode where we talk about the Holy Ghost and and how it's used in unhealthy ways to shade our judgment. And I think to to get us started, I need to go back in, in time and tell you kind of my first interaction with joining the church. So I'm, I'm 17 years old. I'm a senior in high school. I'm working at McDonald's and I meet this beautiful young woman there who takes an interest in me. She asks me out on a date. We end up being husband and wife. This is my future wife. And uh, she asked me out on a date. And uh, as I'm getting to know her, her dad is very determined to try to get me to take an interest in the church. And so one Sunday morning, we end up going um, to the LDS church. And I get to uh, get to the building, um, walk in, and the very first thing, the way our ward was set up uh, when I first joined was that priesthood uh, relief society was first, Sunday school was second, and going to sacrament meeting was third. And so I... uh, I went into the ward building and uh, priesthood starts. So I go into ironic priesthood and I'm in a classroom full of people, kids, my age, right? Just teenagers. And uh, the young men's presidency, I'm meeting them for the very first time and, uh, and taking in the church experience. And the lesson that day was on the Godhead. It was on heavenly father, uh, Jesus Christ and the Holy ghost. And so up on each of the chalkboards, they wrote a different thing. They wrote uh, Heavenly Father, you know, on one, and uh, Jesus Christ on the other, Holy Ghost on the third one. And they proceeded to explain those three members of the Godhead, what their attributes were, um, how all of that worked. And as they were talking, I I remember, uh, I remember, um, being told, by the way, it'll, it'll be a, this will be a little disjointed only because I'm trying to watch the comments as well and, and respond to those as they come in, if there was anything that uh, um, felt like it would add to the program and, and it wasn't going to disrupt kind of this conversation too much. But as they were explaining the Godhead, it's the first time I have an interaction with Mormonism where I have thoughts in my head that are unexplainable to me and Mormonism is telling me how to perceive those thoughts. And so in, in this lesson, um, I'm again, a senior in high school, I'm very aware of how other people are explaining their religious experience. And so I go to a school where I know only one or two Mormons and everyone else is something else. Lutheran and Catholic are are, are two dominant religions in my school system. There are also lots of Protestants. And everything I understood about Christianity leading up to this moment where I'm sitting in this classroom in an LDS ward in Sandusky, Ohio, is that the Godhead 
are the same being manifesting himself in different forms so that heavenly father jesus christ and the holy ghost are all god the same god the same being it being expressed in some different way and um as these mormon uh, ironic priesthood instructors as this young men's presidency is teaching me for the, my first time in this building about the godhead i i remember me thinking to myself i already know this i already know they're separate i already know god and and jesus and uh, the holy ghost are three separate beings and the only way it makes sense to me that i know that or understand that is that somewhere I've learned that, but it wouldn't have been in my mortal life. And so the only interpretation I can take away as Mormonism is teaching me about the pre-mortal existence, as Mormonism is teaching me uh, about the Holy Ghost, is that I have to assume I've learned this truth through some other means than the natural world. And so I start off essentially on the right foot. Um, Mormonism is going to be thrilled because here's this guy who never remembers being taught anywhere that they're separate. He, I, I didn't go to church. I wasn't involved in religion. Um, my growing up has to has my mom leaving her religion as a teenager. My dad is never invested in religion, and so I'm, I'm without that. It's a void in my life. I don't have that kind of instruction. And so I don't really have any memory of any way in which I could have put, picked up the idea that, you know, uh, Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost are separate beings. But I know in my being that that's true. And um, so the Holy Ghost being taught to me in that moment, um, I felt like I had gotten some information from God himself. And, and Mormonism is more than happy to... to you know, combine with that and say like, hey, yeah, yeah, you know, the world didn't give you that. Um, the spirit gave you that. And so that was my my first uh, experience in uh, the Mormon chapel was in this Aaronic priesthood meeting where I feel like I had learned or already knew some truth that the world never gave me, but for which Mormonism was readily willing to tell me came from divine sources. And from there, I go home and I uh, read the Book of Mormon. I take the missionary discussions. I read the Book of Mormon. I read it all the way through. And when I get to the end, um, I I pray about it. And I have what I could only call at the time a visionary experience. And that visionary experience, again, everybody comes to the truth of Mormonism when you're all in and believing in different ways. Some of us don't get any experience at all. And we just go, well, we didn't get an experience because we just, God just knew we knew that it was true. And it was just our job to move forward. Other people have a, a good feeling a burning in the bosom. And others of us claim to have visionary experiences and mine, I would describe that way. And so early on, I'm so sure, I'm so certain that the church is true, that now I am motivated to fit everything else into that paradigm. The church is true. These are prophets. 
the the you know the the Book of Mormon is scripture. Uh, everything else about Mormonism is legitimate, and so I've got to fit everything into that context. And so I wanted to spend a little bit today talking about the Holy Ghost. And, and all I did was use the Gospel Principles uh, uh, book and uh, took a look there and tried to delve into what the church claims about the Holy Ghost. The first one, the Holy Ghost bears witness of truth. And, you know, you have this idea that you can know the truth by, you know, your read Moroni uh, chapter 10, and you apply that scripture to the truth of the Book of Mormon, but then you also apply that, you're taught to apply that to everything. And so anything that you want to know the truth about, you just pray about it. And if you feel good, then you can know that that thing is true. And it's such a strange way to put the world together. Nowhere else, even in religion, really, do they make the effort to say your feelings, the emotions um, that you feel, determine whether something is true or not. And so you go through life feeling good about something, whether it's true or not, and you are encouraged and pressured and motivated to assume that those good feelings are the Holy Ghost and hence the thing you believe is true. And as I left the church, I realized just how deeply this clouds your judgment. Uh, it allows you to dismiss anything that doesn't feel good. Anytime somebody brings to you information which runs counter to your comfortable beliefs and the good feelings that you have, you feel inner permission to dismiss that material, to push it away, to discount it, to deflect it, because it doesn't feel good. And so when somebody comes to you and says, hey, you know, here's something that maybe makes the church not true, or here's something that says you're being kind of a kind of an asshole at the moment. Anytime someone brought to you a perspective in which you had some sort of negative feeling, Mormonism taught you that you were free to dismiss that feeling or that perspective because, um, because contention is of the devil and God is not a God of confusion and the Holy Ghost brings peace. And so there's so many mechanisms involved in the Holy Ghost, which over the course of time will keep you from understanding reality more like it really is, or as the scriptures say, to see through a glass less darkly. And um, there's this idea of the Holy Ghost that we can know the unknowable simply through feelings right? Like Heavenly Father, this, this bearded man, this invisible guy is up in space somewhere, out in the universe, on a planet near a star uh, named Kolob. And Jesus Christ is this person who lived at the meridian of time, and he lived out his 33 years. He made this sacrifice for your sins, and then he was crucified, and three days later, he rose from the grave. And Joseph Smith in the early 1800s was given some gold plates and he translates those into the Book of Mormon. 
and um and you can know all of those things which are to be honest from a standpoint of imposing them as truth to know them as truth is unknowable for one i have zero evidence um that is compelling to me that there is a bearded man in the sky i have zero evidence i i have evidence that there was a man named yashua bar yosef who jesus son of joseph or joshua son of joseph who lived who was a rebellious zealot within his jewish community he was lived at a time where he was among many other rebellious zealots within the same jewish community and that all of these mythological attributes of being half god and being uh, killed and and revived that part of the story is unknowable that part of the story is i can't i can't know that that's true other than through feelings and that joseph smith the evidence against mormonism is monumental it is overwhelmingly balanced against the church like it's not like if there is a balance of it's true and there's a balance over here of it's false and here's the scale and i i put all the evidence that the church is true over on this side and i put all the evidence that the church isn't true on that side the scale tips so far that to know that mormonism is true is unknowable except through feelings and so this shows up in so many unhealthy ways by making room within us to be certain that we are right about demonstrably false things. Like we know these things are true in spite of the evidence being so overwhelming in favor of them not being true. And we're able to keep dismissing better information because we got our answer from God and we know we are the chosen people and we are the elect and we have the priesthood and we have the responsibility to preach. And hence, it's not my job to listen to you. It's not my job to take seriously your point of view. It's not my job to sit with my cognitive dissonance or my emotional discomfort and to consider the merit of your argument. Rather, it's your job to listen to me. It's my job to preach. I've got the authority. I've got the stewardship. I've got the calling. And so anytime someone comes along wanting to improve our perspective, anybody who comes along and wants to shine a light on reality or truth we have these built-in mechanisms that allow us to dismiss anyone and everyone who doesn't say what we want to hear and what we would like to hear. We have this idea that we can know the unknowable simply through feelings, that through good and bad feelings, we can discern what is true and what isn't. And it leads to so much confusion in our, um, it leads to so much confusion uh, in our milieu, in our environment, in the context of Mormonism. You can take so many stories. You've got the Daybells. They were involved in this cult group 
where certain members of the group, Brad Daybell, for instance, I think that's his first name, um, where he gets to impose, he has some sort of insight and authority and everybody else sits at his feet and they listen to him. And meanwhile, the guy has got, got crazy insane thoughts going through his head and the damage and harm he's about to do is monumental. You've got Denver snuffer. You've got Mormons who go, hey, I know Mormonism is true because I had a positive feeling about it. I'm beginning to read about the prophets after Joseph Smith. It imposes on me that I let go of these men as men of God, but my feelings tell me with such certainty that the church is true that I now have to go out and look for another person to fit my expectations. And so Denver Snuffer, who seems like a nice enough guy, claims he's seen Jesus. He he uh, diminishes the value of current LDS prophets, seers, and revelators. He sets himself up on uh, a standard that, hey, I really do talk to God. Sorry, Chad Daybell is what they're saying. So sorry about that. Um, and so we set uh, Denver Snuffer up on a on a on a on a high chair, essentially. And we say, look, now that's the guy. That's the guy who uh, speaks to God because I feel good again. And so our feelings are often the end-all, be-all of what is true and what is not. Uh, Not only Denver Snuffer, back in the 70s and 80s, you had Abraham Gileadi teaching the end of the world. And people were just following that guy around everywhere he went believing what he said. And then you got Paul Dunn, who was part of these multi-level marketing schemes. And they're, whenever these schemes are presented, they're presented in a way as to say, Paul Dunn's a part of this, and hence you can trust it. And again, people felt the spirit when Paul Dunn had given his bullshit talks. And so we have this thing in Mormonism where I have to talk nice. Like here I am, I'm outside the church now and I'm swearing a little bit. And believers go, oh, mm. Swearing makes swearing makes me lose the Holy Ghost. Swearing has me feeling the spirit of contention here. And so any time that we just don't feel okay with what someone else is saying or doing, we just feel this um, permission inside our community and inside of ourselves to just dismiss it completely. It's, it's why we believe LDS leaders, even as they're lying or talking out both sides of their mouth in any given moment. When, when Elder Oaks says uh, the electroshock therapy is, uh, was gone from BYU by the time I got there, every believer in the room goes, I don't have any need to look that up. I know Elder Oaks is a prophet. I trust him to be telling the truth because I felt good about him. And hence, I don't need to go home and do my research. I don't need to go home and look things up. I don't need to to open up a book and look at the data and check and see if my facts are straight because I felt good. You know, this idea that good feelings equals the Holy Ghost and bad feelings equals the devil or some form of deception 
deeply distorts how humans most effectively discover truth and add new information to what they have. Hell, even LDS prophets are using a better process. It just takes them so much damn longer to do it. And so you have LDS prophets who are um, holding a position because, again, they know the church is true. Whether they're in on the fraud or not, at least from the believer's perspective, this is how you would reconcile it. When LDS leaders go hundred over 100 years proclaiming that people of color were less valiant in the pre-mortal existence and carried a curse from Cain, they maintain that position until the world imposes on them better data. Every time somebody offers better, better data, they you know they dismiss it, they shove it away. No way, not going to have that conversation. And it's not until the world comes along and imposes on these guys that their view is outdated, it's not backed by history, and they are causing uh, significant harm. And then the final straw is, hey, the church cannot grow any further until you guys change your ways. And then that's exactly what happens, is that LDS prophets, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, sometimes 200 years later, finally, after that teaching has been ingrained in conference talks, in curriculum, in books, these these men will finally shed that thing away and you get what you got in the race essay where they say we disavow these theories and teachings of the past. And, and yet still, because of their arrogance and their lack of humility, they can't come to full grips and acknowledge to the membership what was off track, why it was off track, and how these guys could have been led astray. I look back at the Adam God teaching, for instance, and you can go to Mormon Think and look up Adam God, and they put all the quotes there in one place. And there are two quotes that stand out to me. There's one quote where Brigham Young says he knows by some divine influence that the Adam God theory is true. Then he follows it up in another quote, and he says, and most of the members of the church who have heard this teaching by the Holy Ghost, they also know it's true. And, and what ends up uh, happening is that you have a leader who believes he is right because he got a feeling, and you've got members of the church who believe that leader's right because they got a feeling. And then how can any of us ever even begin to have a conversation about how feelings are just feelings and they are a bullshit way in which to decide what's true and what isn't true. And so you end up with people who hold on to false views long past when they would have, had they not been given permission to dismiss views that were much more in line with reality and truth. But because of their investment in the paradigms with which they uh, sat with that, they were just unable to wrap their arms around it and go, let me actually consider that. I mean, look at how much effort went into trying to 
explained to these old men that their views on race were absolutely absurd. And they go so many years, so many talks, conference talks, curriculum, first presidency statements, writing back and forth to Dr. Lowry Nelson, um, the political oodals and, and what went into those conversations around race. And they just resisted truth and resisted truth and resisted truth and resisted truth. And you ask, in a church led by prophet seers and revelators, these old men seem so damn resistant to truth. And it all seems hinged on once I know something's true, I get to hold that view forever until I just can't hold it anymore. And so this idea that the Holy Ghost and what feels good, what brings peace to our soul is the way to know what truth is. There's a thousand examples in Mormonism how that's absolutely nonsense. How that's absolutely nonsense. Um, Mr. Croissant says, some argue that Exmos do the same thing with our prophets. Another example of how harmful it is to teach us to ignore inner intuition and search for an external figure to personify, personify feelings of truth. Yeah, I mean, this is a big thing. For, again, don't, don't follow Bill Real. Take what I say, and if I have something useful, great. And if I don't, great. And if I say something where you disagree with me, then, then bring it up. Let's talk about it. Go read the things that maybe I'm getting my view from, and let's Let's see if one of us can maybe add, or maybe both of us can add to our perspective by welcoming in more information. One of the things we do is in early uh, human development, we start off very egocentric, right? As a baby, you don't give a crap what your mom or dad are dealing with. You don't care that they're having a bad day. All you know is your diaper is full of crap and you need it changed and you're hungry for a bottle. And so you cry because you're egocentric, but at some point you get to a place where you're ethnocentric and you now care about your family and your tribe, but you know that inside your tribe, your authorities are the right authorities. They're the ones who have the truth. And so when you're, when you're raised in Mormonism, you know that your top 15 men are better than anybody else's 15 men. And so whether somebody like Alan Watts or Richard Rohr or Sam Harris is saying something smart, you don't give a crap unless it perfectly aligns with what you already believe. And yet by, by putting Mormon leaders up on a pedestal and thinking those are the most brilliant guys in the room, they have the, the best wisdom, you cut yourself off. You, you essentially are sitting by you know a pile of crap and thinking it's the goose that lays the golden egg and you don't even know that there are golden eggs out there to even look at. I mean, you wouldn't even know that this pile of crap in front of you is a pile of crap because you're so determined to see your people as the best authorities, as the ones with the answers, as the ones with the insight. And so um, you aren't even open as a believing Mormon to listening to any other view. So you you dismiss everything and it has you holding on to so many bad views way longer than you should have because you really don't know. You really don't know how to think critically, how to take evidence on both sides and how to weigh it. 
And uh, just FYI, Mr. Croissant saying that was not targeted at you, Bill, just in general. We are taught to follow others, not ourselves. I 100% agree. One of the big things that happened when I started to deconstruct was I started to move into that stage four of Fowler's faith. I, I started to really individuate. And as I individuated, what I learned was that I've got an inner voice inside of me and my intuition is pretty damn good. And I found that as I compared my own voice and how my own inner voice was suggesting I live life and what the authorities around me inside my tribe were suggesting I live life, I realized very quickly that I was doing a better job at, at being human than what these guys were recommending I do. I had local leaders who were shitty. I, I see those top 15, 15 men as deeply dysfunctional. And so as I individuated, what ended up happening was I started taking seriously voices outside my tribe. At first, it was really gentle. I looked for other religious voices. Um, I found Richard Rohr, for instance. And, and even earlier than that, I found people inside my tribe who were saying things that felt more true than the leaders of my church, Brad Wilcox, Robert Millett, Stephen Robinson, were three big ones as I thought about grace and how we all needed to let go of this toxic perfectionism and uh, make more space for our humanity inside our tribe. And so it starts off by me listening to Brad Wilcox and, and Robinson and Millett and I'm going like, man, these guys have a much better approach to grace. To the point, by the way, where Elder Uchtdorf, sometime around 2014, 15, gives a talk on grace where he completely lets go of the old Mormon paradigm. And he simply reiterates what those three men had been saying about grace. And everybody applauded Uchtdorf for doing it. And everybody thought the talk was amazing. And nobody could say like, hey, leaders prior to Elder Uchtdorf giving that talk had never framed grace that way. It had always been after all you can do and you just can't do it all. You never should have been expected to. And so as I left ethnocentricity, I, I moved into um, a paradigm where I valued all of humanity and stopped imposing that I, that my tribe had the best answers. And as soon as that happened, I began to think critically about all the things inside my system. And at that point, there was little choice, but to deconstruct the thing to the point where I am now at today, that Mormonism is just not at all what it claims. I mean, think about this. You think about all the times you dismissed people suggesting that your church was not what it claimed. And now on the outside, looking back, you realize that every single truth claim in Mormonism hinges on a historical event. And in every one of those issues, the critic has a more rational, reasonable way to reconcile the data than, than the way you're doing it from the inside as a believer. Like, 
like you're taught that there's this idea that it's close. It's kind of balanced. That's the idea of faith, that if we just make it, there's reasons to believe, there's reasons not to believe. And those reasons are relatively living in some sort of equanimity so that you're always free to pick one or to pick the other. And those who fall away just just didn't have enough faith. And now on the outside, looking back, you realize the scale wasn't even close, not even, not even moderately near each other. And, uh, and so you look now and you go like every one of the issues, you know, book of Moses, book of Abraham, kinderhook plates, priesthood restoration, three witnesses, eight witnesses, book of Mormon translation, book of, uh, I think I said book of Abraham already. Um, Prophets being dishonest and deceptive and hiding information, um, temple ordinances, uh, everything. And it goes on and on and on. And in every one of those issues, it is stacked so far against faith and belief. And yet inside that paradigm, you found some way to dismiss it all. You dismissed it all. And you just kept saying, I know the church is true. Well, how do you know? Because the Holy Ghost has told me. So whenever new information comes along that causes cognitive dissonance, whenever somebody comes into our space and they have the spirit of contention, we get to dismiss them entirely. And, and it even gives us permission to dismiss our own bad behavior. When I show up not treating the world appropriately, I get to justify it because it came dressed as a thought by the Holy Ghost. And this prevented me and it prevented each of you from being accountable for your shitty behavior. I'll share a couple stories here. Just recently, I went back to Ohio to visit and... Uh, my, I went to a, so when we went back to visit, um, we wanted to get together with my side of the family. So we had a party at a pub, uh, the Brass Pelican, and all of my family came, all my cousins, my aunts, my uncles. It was beautiful. By the way, I want to stop here and just give a little, a little tangent. When I joined the church, I was taught that my family was broken and less than. They didn't keep the commandments. They were full of sin. And that I needed, on some level, I understood that I needed to put distance between me and them. When I went to that party back in Ohio, it reminded me and it showed me how much I had missed. My family, there were two really interesting dynamics. The men and the women in my family spoke with equal authority. As there were conversations taking place in that pub that day, my my aunts and my uncles, my female cousins and my male cousins, they communicated stories. They pushed against each other as they debated politics or religion or sports. And I noticed no difference between the men who spoke and the women who spoke in the space of respect and um, validation given for both sides as they spoke. That to me was big. 
The other one was the the biological siblings of that family and their children and the people that those siblings married and the and the people that uh, that their children married. In other words, the uh, biological family and the in-laws. There was no difference. Whether you were my dad's brother or my dad's brother's wife, whether you were my dad's sister or my dad's sister's husband, there is no perceived difference in what right you have to speak and what ability you have to convey an idea without being diminished or distanced from. And I want to say, looking back, I've got a pretty awesome family. And for two decades, I kept my, I kept a degree of distance from them because they were lost and fallen. And my, my in-laws were members of the true church on the covenant path, the Lord's chosen people. And I missed out on so much stuff that had happened in my family. I missed out on relationships. I missed out on events. I missed out on connection and intimacy and bonding with people that I think the world of and who were doing human pretty damn well. Anyway. Um... This idea that believing bad behavior, that party was one party. And then the other get together was my in-laws. And and so I go back to Ohio with my wife and my mother-in-law, who I think the world of. My mother-in-law worked with us to try to put a gathering together of our old friends in our ward and, um, and our family members from my wife's side. And these are all believing Mormons, although they've they've got their own sin, church discipline, in some cases excommunication, in some cases complete inactivity, in some cases breaking the word of wisdom in, in what Mormonism would say are serious ways. And um and yet those believers still look at me with some sort of feelings of uh, judgment and imposition of shame because I simply don't buy into this thing anymore. And so we wanted to get together with her side of the family and with these old friends from the ward. And so my mother-in-law suggested that I do such at the ward building since her house might be a little too small for everybody to gather. And, and, no negative on her part for doing that. It, it's just that once we got there, I realized I shouldn't have agreed to it. Once I got to that ward building, I'm on their turf. And uh, my father-in-law started off the meeting with a prayer. And I sat at the table with my wife, with our old friends from our ward, and my wife's family sat at two other tables all right next to each other, the round tables that you roll out in the cultural hall. And so we sat in the cultural hall and we had a meal. We had great conversation. And uh, we had a great conversation. 
And as the conversation is beginning to wrap up, my father-in-law walks over and stands near the table. And I already knew what was going on. He, I could see that he was policing the situation. He was on the, he was on edge about having this atheist in his, his religious sanctuary. And I wasn't trying to, uh, I, I never imposed the church wasn't true. In fact, early in the conversation, I told everybody at our table, I said, this conversation is going to be really difficult. It's going to be difficult because everything that you love about your life and the things that are going well in it, the things you want to share with me to catch me up on your life are going to run counter to the things I want to share. I'd like to tell you about the books I'm reading. I'd like to tell you about the things I'm thinking about. I'd like to tell you about how uh, next year I'm going part-time because this entity of Mormon Discussion Incorporated has grown year after year to the point now where I can spend more time at home and create content. And that content is helping people leave the very thing which with you are in love with and that you think is the best thing on the planet. And the other person across the table said, Bill, how about this? How about you just share your story and we'll share ours and we'll all just be uncomfortable. And I said, perfect. And I I deeply appreciated that response because that's what I wanted. I'm happy to sit uncomfortable. Can you sit uncomfortable? And so for the next two hours, we proceeded to just talk to each other. The one woman shared how her sister had left the church, how her kid had some health issues. Uh, People shared their jobs and what they were interested in, what was going on in the ward. And I had conversation. I never said, hey, guys, you're wrong. The church isn't true. What I did say was, hey, in your church, you don't have any healthy stories about people who leave. You tell stories about Thomas Marsh and Simon's Ryder, Emma Smith, Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer. But you never, ever tell a healthy story of anyone who left. Let me tell you, because I know the stories of thousands of people who have, and I know my own story. We struggled. We tried to fight to have it be true. We wanted nothing more than the church to be what it claimed to be. And we, on our own, in our own mind, it's my view, not yours. You don't have to side with me. It's just my lived experience. But my lived experience is that leaving the church is the hardest damn thing to do. And and it's so difficult. You have have to let go of, of your identity. You have to renegotiate family relationships. The entity imposes so much shame that my suggestion for you at this table is that you be kind and make space for another person's perspective that leaving wasn't easy, that they weren't trying to be lazy, they weren't wanting to sin. They just did the due diligence and arrived at their own personal conclusion that the church wasn't true. And that is as pointed as I got in the entire conversation. Otherwise, mostly it was just small talk, trying to catch up on who who they are and what their lives are and trying to share a little bit of mine. My father-in-law at the end stands up near all of this and he just feels he's a watchman on the tower. It's his job to police it because he knows the church is true. And as we're wrapping up and people are starting to leave, he walks up to me and confronts me and he, he says, 
Uh, I can't have you doing this. I, I know the church is true. And he bears his testimony. I know God is the eternal father. I know Jesus is the Christ. I know that the Holy Ghost is real. And I looked him in the eye and I said, I thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that part of you. Let me share my part, which is I don't believe it. I know it's not true. I don't believe in God. I know he's not there. I know Jesus isn't the Christ and I know the Holy Ghost isn't real. And that's my view. And if you get to say your view, then I get to say mine because that's what a healthy relationship is. And then he proceeded to tell me, but Bill, you've been excommunicated for apostasy. I said, no, I was excommunicated for telling the truth. He said, no, you were excommunicated for apostasy. I said, no, I was excommunicated for telling the truth. Now this is, there's still people here and they're all listening now at this point. And he says something else and I'm, I'm calm inside. And I share with him some, some idea of wisdom inside of me that I'm trying to just calm it down. I'm trying to say, look, let's just be respectful for each other. And he comes back and says, that's exactly what something Korahor would say in the Book of Mormon. And I said, oh, okay. So now I'm the Antichrist. Gotcha. And uh, my son's mother-in-law attended this as well. She's a Nevermo. And uh, again, the whole thing's wrapping up. So rather than have this confrontation with him, because he has had this outburst and tried to put me in my place. I said, I'm, I'm just going to walk away and uh, I'm going to walk uh, her out to her car. And so I went and walked her out to her car so that she could leave. But I was so deeply hurt because Mormons think they have a right to an unbalanced relationship. They think they have more privilege when you sit in a space with each other that they get to say their prayers, but you keep your mouth shut. They get to talk about their callings, but you keep your mouth shut. They get to tell you the church is true, but you keep your mouth shut. And that is not how healthy relationships work. In a healthy relationship, we either both agree not to talk about the uncomfortable, or we both sit with discomfort. And those are our options. And in any relationship where in a public space, two people, one person has more privilege when they're not a police officer, they're not a fireman, they're, they're not a judge, they hold no secular authority. Well, if they don't have any secular authority, they have zero right to create an unfair and unbalanced relationship. And so in these spaces, when you go to your Thanksgiving with your believing family, you get to decide whether you push this or not, but you have a right to request and require a healthy, balanced relationship. So why did my father-in-law decide that he had more privilege than I do in our relationship? And it's because the Holy Ghost told him the church is true. It's the reason he gets to do what he does. And it's the reason he doesn't ever have to be accountable for it. So when this whole experience was over, by the way, a friend, a friend of mine and my wife's 
who is an old member of that ward in about the same age group as the two of us are. She immediately, as I'm walking that, uh, my son's mother-in-law out, she immediately grabs him by the arm and kindly, but also very pointedly informed him that what he did was deeply unhealthy and abusive. And um, my wife also jumped in and clearly told her father that he was in the wrong and that he was being an ass. And that if that's the kind of God he stands behind that his behavior is justified by, then his God is absolute and complete bullshit. And um, that, that event was deeply hurtful. The next day, I tried to salvage the relationship. I reached out to my father-in-law and I said, uh, I said, I'm going to be crystal clear here. I'm not going to participate in a relationship with you where you have more privilege. If you get to say prayers, then I get to say things that make you uncomfortable too. If you get to tell me about your callings, then I get to say things that make you uncomfortable. If you get to impose the church is true, then I get to say things that make you uncomfortable. If you don't respect my discomfort and you have no qualms about adding to my trauma, then sure as hell I get to return the favor. And I asked several questions in the way that I do where I say like, here, I know the logic. I understand the rationality of this, this disagreement. And I asked four or five questions that attempted to point him to having to be accountable for his unhealthiness. And he wouldn't answer any of them. I want to note, my mother-in-law came in immediately and said, I side with Bill. Bill's right. What, what happened that, that last evening was not okay. It wasn't appropriate. And if I was there, I would have said something and, and tried to get it to stop. So I want to say thank you to her for while disagreeing with me, having a better radar, a better sensor for what good and bad is, what right and wrong is, what healthy and unhealthy is. I love my father-in-law. He's a great man. But Mormonism made him an absolute piece of shit that night. Somebody says, uh, you're in his house. Uh, Ivana, let me say this. Um, I didn't ask it to be at that location. This, this get-together was hinged on, the reason for this get-together was hinged on uh, their daughter and son-in-law coming back into town and they both fully well know that neither one of them are believing anymore and they are completely out of the church and absolutely think it is false. So when you know that about your loved ones and you still impose a religious environment around that get-together, you are also accountable for the unhealthiness that happens. And so I'm all with you that it's in his house, but I didn't decide that location. And it doesn't stop me from having a one-sided unhealthy relationship. I'm not going to participate in that sort of relationship, regardless of where the hell we have it. And uh, people are asking, where's RFM? This is a more an episode of Mormon Discussion. We'll be back to doing Mormonism live tomorrow night, Wednesday evening, 6.20 p.m. for our live show. Um, 
I produce multiple podcasts, by the way. The one I love the most is the Almost Awakened podcast, almostawakened.org. Uh, I've done a podcast called Cognitive Dissidence. So it's a play on the word cognitive dissonance, but with one who is a dissident. And I go through religious psychology. It's a very, uh, it's a limited number of episodes, but I've had numerous people uh, tell me that that podcast was instrumental and their deconstruction of Mormonism, cognitivedissidents.org. I do a podcast called the Mythical Jesus Podcast. Haven't recorded something for that for a while, but I attempted to go into the New Testament and share it from the perspective of believing it's entirely myth. I don't need to value the stories from a literal perspective, but what kind of wisdom can we gather from the New Testament when we take it less literally, and don't feel imposed to do that. Um, the reason my father-in-law was able to be an ass that day was because the Holy Ghost gives him permission to do so. And um, that's, that's what the Holy Ghost does for believing Mormons. Um, I was taught that the Holy Ghost is a voice within me, but it does not emanate from me. In other words, anytime my inner voice speaks up and my intuition speaks out and my brain goes, hey, my body and my thoughts, when I'm thinking critically, I'm trying to think deeply, I'm trying to be good in the world, whatever thoughts come up inside of me, they have to be from the Holy Ghost. And um, this idea that that comes from the Holy Ghost, it, it, it Fs you up. And here's why. First off, if your intuition contradicts the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you immediately feel pressure to dismiss your inner voice of wisdom as not from God. And when that inner voice says something that's crazy inside of Mormonism, but really reflects handling the world in a much more healthy way, you again feel impressed to dismiss it. And so you're always having to measure these internal feelings that come from good from a good place against Mormonism. And it takes so much longer to start giving those the benefit of the doubt and to start giving those deference. You constantly defer to something else. So when Mormonism tells you that it's better that your child come home in a casket than having lost their virtue, when Mormonism tells you that it's okay for a seven-year-old kid to talk about the law of chastity with a 40-year-old stranger who happens to be the plumber down the street. When Mormonism suggests to you that people of color are somehow less than, when Mormonism tells you that men have a more important voice than women and your inner intuition goes, hmm, no, I'm not okay with that. 
that message, that latter message can't be trusted. In spite of the fact that the church is constantly getting shit wrong, that it knows by the Holy Ghost is true, only to, at a later point, disavow it, reverse it, no longer emphasize it. We don't teach that. We don't emphasize it. Like Mormonism is the worst mechanism in the world to know what is real and what isn't, what is true and what is not. And yet your testimony, which came through the Holy Ghost, imposes that in spite of that, you give it the benefit of the doubt and you defer to it every damn time. Once I left the church, once I realized this thing isn't true, my intuition got better. In other words, if the Holy Ghost is real, when I lost my testimony and left Mormonism, I should have been emptied out of a certain degree of inspiration. I should have been emptied out of a certain degree of uh, wisdom and intuition. I should have had removed from me the ability to come up with great ideas and to move through the world in better and healthier ways. But that's not what happened. When I left Mormonism, I opened myself up to all the voices of wisdom in the world. I began to give greater and greater weight to people like Sam Harris, to Brene Brown, to um, Ken Wilber and Spiral Dynamics, to Alan Watts. If you want to know one of the greatest things I've ever heard, after you're done listening to this, go find the YouTube video uh, from Alan Watts on the illusion of time and money and ego. And listen to that with an open mind and an open heart and see if that rings with deeper truth than any damn thing you ever learned within Mormonism. And you see the moment you start opening yourself up to all of these outer authorities who have wisdom and you open yourself up to your inner voice of wisdom, you begin to recognize you had been drinking from the shallow pool for decades. As I deconstructed Mormonism, I learned several things about the Holy Ghost, and this is where I'll wrap up, and then I'll kind of go through the comments and put a few up, and we'll we'll answer any thoughts you guys have. If you have a question about this topic, or if it's a little off topic, feel free to ask, and I'll go back through here, and we'll read a few of these. First thing I learned was elevation, and they're not really in order. It's the first thing I wrote down. First thing I wrote down was elevation emotion. I had read about a social scientist named Jonathan Haidt who had done research on uh, a thing called elevation emotion. And if you go read the Wikipedia article on elevation emotion, what you learn is that elevation emotion sounds exactly like Mormonism describes the Holy Ghost. It's a warm feeling in your chest. It's these positive feelings and thoughts it is feeling a great awe for the universe. And what you realize from Jonathan Haidt's research is that you can manipulate people 
through things that aren't true and you can get them to feel these good feelings about the thing that isn't true. So they could present somebody who didn't know they were being part of research. It would, you know, you go out on the street and you make something happen in front of somebody and they think it's one thing, but it's really something else. So they would go out and they would um, portray a scene that one person was in trouble and another person was helping, or this person's the good guy and that person's the bad guy. And you would watch this thing take place. And when good prevailed, you felt all of these really good feelings. And in reality, it was all actors acting. It was all a show and you were being manipulated. This idea that elevation emotion, these positive feelings within you are felt by all humans across the globe. Even when I joined the church, there was some cognitive dissonance here because I grew up about an hour west of Cleveland, Ohio, and I fell in love with a rap group out of Cleveland, uh, Bone Thugs and Harmony. And when I listened to Bone Thugs and Harmony, and I had joined the church at this point, listening to that music brought to me the exact same feelings that I had um, experiencing in the church and listening to the music. And the music was about murder and killing people and killing cops and drug use. And it was every song was the antithesis, uh, was the opposite of the message Mormonism wanted to give. And even back then, I couldn't quite understand why when I listened to uh, Lazy, Crazy, Wish, and Busy Bone, why I was feeling the Holy Ghost as they were talking about the most heinous acts in society, according to my Mormonism. Murder's wrong no matter where you go, by the way. And uh, I couldn't figure that out. And what you realize is that Mormonism took a real thing. Mormonism took elevation emotion, brought it inside Mormonism, and then told its members like, oh, we have this. Oh, look at, look, we have this. This, this is only here. This is only inside the church. You can feel this really awesome thing that's true. And the reality is that everyone across the planet's feeling it. Everyone in the world is experiencing elevation emotion at various times in their life. And then the second thing is you realize you can be manipulated to feel it. When Boyd K. Packer says testimony is gained in the bearing of it, he is practicing another psychological mechanism called the illusory truth effect, which says that the more you repeat something, the more an idea is presented to you, the more you have to think about an idea in your head the more likely you are to believe that data point is true regardless of the actual merit of whether it is or not. And so President Packer was tricking all of us into repeating our testimony before we believed it as a manipulation to get you to believe it. And so elevation emotion was the first one. The second thing I learned, my inner voice was mine. My inner voice is my inner voice. When, when something inside me suggests, hey, Bill, you just did something that wasn't healthy. You should be accountable to that. Hey, Bill, look at that person over there. They need some help. Hey, Bill, did you notice that in this conversation just now that what person A said likely caused shame to person B, C, and D? Why don't you speak up 
and be an advocate for a different view. Every time my intuition now speaks up, I recognize it's my inner voice. Um, I just recorded an episode for the Almost Awakened podcast that's titled Three Conversations. And in each of those three conversations, I showed up in that moment in a healthy, wise way. And I never could have done any of those three five or 10 years ago. I couldn't have. I wouldn't have been capable of it. And I recognize today that recognizing that the intuition inside me is my inner voice has given me the strength and ability to keep trying to improve that voice, to show up healthier in the world, and to be willing to feel safe and to be encouraged inside myself to let that voice be heard. The the last thing is that the discomfort that I felt when somebody shared a contrary idea with me The discomfort did not mean I was being deceived or misled or confused by Satan. From now on, when somebody comes to me and says, hey, Bill, um, I have a different perspective that you seem to have a blind spot with. Five or 10 years ago, and definitely 10, 10 years ago, I would have gone, hey, the church is true and that person saying something not true, I get to just dismiss it, dismiss it out of hand. And today what I go is, please say more. I'd like to consider that. So when somebody shares an alternative opinion, I just had a conversation the other day. I believe in systemic racism. Um, A friend of mine brought to my attention a book written by a African-American, by a person of color, and he makes the argument there is not systemic racism. And In the past, had I held a Mormon view and somebody came up and offered a critical view of my Mormonism, I would have just just dismissed them. Get out of here. Today, on a different topic, today I said, let me sit with that. What What are the major points of his argument? What are the things he's saying? And I downloaded his book on Audible. And I've listened to it, Uh, not all the way, by the way, but I've listened to about a third of it or so, so far. And while I still feel that there is systemic racism, I am open to and considering and changing small parts of my view based on the merit of what the other person has to say. And Mormonism doesn't want you doing that. It doesn't want you considering the argument of other people whose views are in disagreement with the comfortable beliefs that you hold. The, the Let me put that back up for a second. So this comment... Um, I've studied all six apostle devotionals this past weekend. All six apostles told young adults to double down on listening to the Holy Ghost to tell you what Nelson says. You see, they still use the Holy Ghost as a trump card. But if I were allowed to sit with those men 
and to ask them logical follow-up questions, I would point them to the deep discrepancy they don't want to acknowledge, which is when leaders in the present, President Nelson and his uh, flight of death story, for instance, when leaders in the present and leaders in the past are held accountable to the Holy Ghost really is a good way to know truth, I can point out to them there are numerous, in the hundreds, if not thousands, numerous examples of leaders believing something and knowing it inside their head to be true by the power of the Holy Ghost, only to have to have that view refuted later on or to have leaders after their death disavow their previous teachings. Spencer W. Kimball knew that masturbation led to homosexuality. Uh, Marky Peterson knew it was better to come home in a grave, in a casket, than it was to come home having lost your virtue. Um, the Whoever wrote the Book of Mormon, they knew that women could lose their virtue by being raped. Uh, and President Nelson knew that he was on an airplane that went into a death spiral. The engine blew up. It was on fire. And the reality is these men are the piss poorest example of the Holy Ghost being effective. There's so many examples. They are numerous, far and wide, of how the Holy Ghost led all of those men astray. And yet they continually get up and attempt to tell the youth that the Holy Ghost is the right answer. Why? Because it does all the things that we've talked about in this conversation. And so my two cents for whether you are, you've left or whether you're in and you believe and you're just listening because uh, this thing came up on, on some feed you were at and you're sitting there shaking your head in complete disbelief. My two cents is, Let's let the Holy Ghost go for a month or two. Why don't you set the Holy Ghost aside for, let's say, 90 days? How about you jump into the CES letter? How about you start listening to Radio Free Mormon or Mormon Discussion or Mormonism Live? Go back and listen to the personal stories on Mormon Stories with John DeLynn. And sit with the information and go, who has a better argument? And just how much hurt and pain and trauma is our arrogance that we are right, and hence we get to do business as usual, how much damage is that really causing in the, on the planet in the arena of those affected by Mormonism? And if you'll consider the data, if you'll listen to Lindsay Hansen Park's Year of Polygamy, if you'll listen to my podcast, Mormon Discussion, if you'll check out RFM's Radio Free Mormon, if you'll listen to the stories of people's trauma with John DeLynn, I don't know how you'd get through those 90 days and come out the other side and go, I know the church is true and, and, and this is all okay, what we're doing, because it's not. All right, um, I'll wrap that that whole spiel up, but I'd love to kind of go back through here, put up a few of the comments, and we can chat about some of this stuff. Um, somebody noted in the beginning the idea that they remember uh, when uh, priesthood and relief society were first, and sacrament was at the it was was at the end. Um, 
people are appreciating the ability to create uh, more content. Um, I, I think, I think Crisco, I think you make a great point here, by the way, I'm, I'm not sure if you're still with us, but you're right. I mean, the Trinity is weird and it may just be that from my non-religious perspective, the idea that old man, God and young man, Jesus and invisible guy, Holy ghost, all being the same being just makes zero sense unless you are religiously motivated because of your tribal beliefs to accept your tribal's dogma and to mesh it all together, even if it doesn't fit. And again, to make, it, it doesn't make Mormonism any more true, but the idea of a Trinity is so absurd that you really do have to create mental gymnastics and tons of conjecture and allowances in order to make that work. Uh, Tom, thank you very much for the 25 bucks. Um, that means a lot. I'm glad that you find the things I talk about or that our umbrella talks about important. Um, thank you so much. Truth is truth. When we hear the truth, the spirit testifies of the truth. You hear and learn. Um, yes and no. I think that we humans are easily deceived. And it really takes a lifetime of experience for us to begin to grasp what works and what doesn't and why it works and why it doesn't. And I'll say at this point, being outside of the church, um, my intuition deeply works. Uh, the Holy Ghost is the reason I lived 100% Orthodox for 50 years. I knew. I saw God in vision. I was visited by angels and relatives. So there's another person who had serious spiritual experiences and who was able to walk away from those. And people, believers will go, how did you, how were you able to walk away from those? You saw God in vision. By the way, I knew members of my ward who also claimed the same thing. This person says, I was visited by angels and relatives, I assume deceased relatives. And people go, well, how can you even dismiss that? That's enough for me. Bill Real, I know you're wrong. Church is true. How could you, how could you go back on these things? And I'll tell you, it's easy. Once you open yourself up to the idea that there are believers inside all religions who have spiritual experiences that bind them to the truth of their religion, then you have to, if you're going to be a logical, rational, reasonable human being, you now have to question the validity of your own experience in the same way that you do and dismiss the spiritual experiences of others. There are Catholics who have seen God. There are um, uh, Hindus who have seen God. There are members of Heaven's Gate, the cult who they all killed themselves, who, see, who saw God, who saw and felt deep spiritual things, who had visions. The fundamentalist church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has binding experience. Their members have binding experiences on them. And so um, there's a video on the internet. If you go to YouTube and you type in, can she really know? And it'll be, I think it's a woman of Islam as the main picture. And then there's another video that 
this one is made from, and the main one I think is called Spiritual Witnesses. And it has a picture of a just a woman in casual clothing on the front. And when you listen to those two videos, and there's a lot of overlap, but when you listen to those two videos, it becomes crystal clear that people within every religion, there are people who have deep um, deep, impactful experiences that go beyond just feelings. Some of it's feelings, but some go beyond that. And if I'm going to count my experiences valid and the person across from me is invalid simply because they are in a different system than me and I know my system is true, then I'm being irrational. I need to consider their experiences as just as valid of mine, as, as valid as mine, especially in light of knowing people firsthand in spite of their experience being secondhand. And I know they're not crazy. I know that they're not insane. They're not crazy. And I know they believe their experience with just as much certainty as I did mine. Uh, Tom here says, it's obvious you were telling the truth with honesty as you recall your experience. That is part of why you are valuable to people learning. Please continue your work. That's the plan, my friend. We will keep it up. Um, Anna Maria says, Mormonism is a cultic program that was incepted as a justification to produce Germanic mass reproduction of a master race. Um, again, that's I'm not disagreeing with that, Anna. I, that's just that's too deep for me to, to cover in this show. Um, why were we continually taught to attribute all of our own personal intuition to external sources? It's so hard to deconstruct that and to learn to trust yourself. Again, what high demand fundamentalist religions do is they are always trying to separate you from your inner voice and they are always trying to distance you from the outside world. And so there are a thousand mechanisms in Mormonism. There's a thousand mechanisms in the Jehovah's Witnesses. There's a thousand mechanisms in Scientology, all geared to getting you to distrust your reason and to side with the collective belief of the tribe. I sat at a, uh, a meal once with a really wise person and they were talking about being in the tribe or out of the tribe. And they said, you know, when you're in the tribe, you, you agree to collectively hallucinate together with each other. And there's a lot of truth to that. Again, forget Mormonism. Think about being in any high demand fundamentalist religion. And you realize there is a collective agreement in the congregation to hallucinate together. Tom says, the Holy Ghost telling us what to do was always just me telling me what to do. So now it's unchanged. Only now I can say that thought is caused by this emotion, so I choose to ignore it now. Yeah, and it gives you the ability to go, that's not God's voice. When, when some woman hears a voice in her head that tells her to drown her kids in the bathtub, and she carries it out because something in her life history compels her to believe that is the actual voice of God rather than a compromise of her own sanity. And by knowing that your inner voice can be right or wrong, 
and that God has nothing to do with it also allows you to dismiss thoughts when you recognize that carrying that thought out is going to impose harm and trauma on another human being and on the world at large. Yes, the Holy Ghost makes us prejudiced and uncaring towards others. Yes, it does. And then we twist ourselves into mental and emotional pretzels to make sense of the weirdness. Yep. There are so many ways to make the book of Abraham work, but the reason there are so many ways to make the book of Abraham work is because the book of Abraham doesn't work. My feelings have many times led me astray. Amen. Feelings are the least effective way to know if something is true. And you can prove it with a Mormon. If there's any believers here, let's do this. Let me come up with a fact that you don't know, but which is absolutely a fact. Let me then put that in a survey of a question that has multiple choice, and I will give you 20 answers. Or better yet, I'll leave it blank and you fill in the answer. And now you've got 20 minutes to go in a closet and pray. And you're going to come out of that closet and you're going to select multiple choice. And if we had enough people so as to show that the survey is uh, not going to uh, make room for just coincidence or luck. In other words, if we just surveyed three people and two of them get it right, you could go, that's the Holy Ghost. But if we survey a thousand people, we will know that if I have five answers, people praying got it right 20% of the time. And you could take any believer and you could show them that the Holy Ghost is ineffective. But believers, again, because they get to dismiss you, because they get to put you at distance, believers will refuse to participate in that sort of test. Somebody said, I was there for Paul Dunn. I felt the Holy Ghost. I saw him in person and knew the Holy Ghost told me he was telling the truth. Yeah. And every leader is doing that sort of thing. The Holy Ghost is a license to commit blatant confirmation bias and feel justified in doing it. Yep. Exactly what I'm saying, Clark. Notice that Elder Oaks never said any sort of statement of regret that the shock therapy ever took place. Yeah. And that says a lot on its own. He had a chance to correct the record and attribute it to a misremembering. But at this point, his avoidance of being accountable tells you that he doesn't misremember it. Tom said, Bill Real, this is valuable. Do more like this. It helps others understand their own thinking. Thanks. You're welcome, Tom. Diane said, and a TBM will choose to follow the Holy Ghost and those feelings over their close family relationships. Yep. That's exactly what my father-in-law did to me. And it was shitty. And to this moment, he knows he is right in spite of ward members, uh, his wife, in spite of others uh, telling him that what he did was abusive and inappropriate. And I can almost guarantee he will go into, if he hasn't already, a priesthood meeting and use that example to brag about how he is a good, faithful member of the church and he did what the Lord needed him to do rather than reach out and say, you know what? I screwed up. What I did that day was shitty and I apologize for it. 
And I'll, I'll tell you this, the way we left it is I made it crystal clear to him in the exact language of saying, if the only way I'll participate with you is if this is a healthy relationship and a healthy relationship uh, has an equal amount of privilege on both sides. And if you're unable to be in a relationship in that way, then you can F off. And I, I didn't say F off. Um, and he can, and he hasn't talked to me since. So uh, his loss, not mine, because I simply won't subject myself to that. Um, yeah, that was a big shelf item for me that the church wasn't leading the world on morals. It's not. The, chur- the church is dogmatic and wrong, and then when it gets it right, it's only because it's reactive to decades of pushback and corrections in science and in uh, world perspective. The audacity of it says, one crack in the shelf, I felt the same feeling of peace in Notre Dame as well as St. Martin's in the field, London, that I did in Preston Temple. Peace is not the feeling of obeying our leaders. Uh, Maybe it was indigestion. When you get a weird feeling, it's always that joke in the ex-Mormon world that I felt the Holy Ghost. Well, maybe, maybe you just felt something. Maybe it wasn't the Holy Ghost. Mr. Croissant, some argue that Exmos do the same with our prophets. We read that one already. Um, and I agree with that completely. Don't, don't follow John DeLynn. Don't follow Bill Real. Don't follow Radio Free Mormon or Lindsay Hansen Park or, or Sam Young for that matter. Follow the inner authority and inner voice inside of you as you weigh the merit of all sides of an argument and the conclusion your mind and heart and gut arrive at is that a certain thing is the right thing to do and then support the voices who hold that view up all the while being willing to test your assumptions whenever new information shows up. That's how you do it. Uh, Bonma Smith, absolutely. Women in Relief Society testimony after reading Rough Stone Rolling. A woman in Relief Society sharing her testimony after reading Rough Stone Rolling. Quote, if I didn't already know Joseph Smith was a prophet, this book would have made me doubt it. Right? Like, I already know the earth is flat, so um, I'm, I'm not going to doubt it. You know, there's this quote by Carrie Molstein. And so I start out with an assumption that the Book of Abraham and the Book of Mormon and anything else, excuse me, that we get from uh, the restored gospel is true. Therefore, any evidence I find, I will try and fit into that paradigm. I don't feel that I need to defend that paradigm. I feel that I want to understand the evidence that I find within that paradigm because to me it's a given that it's true. It's a given that it's true. If I didn't already know that the church was true, the information that the critic raises would have given me doubts. And the way you know is the Holy Ghost, and yet the Holy Ghost is deeply ineffective and can be demonstrated as ineffective simply by pointing to the history of the church and showing on a thousand occasions how wrong these leaders got it.
There's a funny comment. Don't follow Bill real okay, but RFM needs to be idolatrized immediately. Um, let me pull a few more of these up. I must see my tribe as 100% right, because if they are not right, then I will never get into the kingdom and be exalted. Yep. Ethnocentricity is a son of a bitch. Um, and tribalism is a, it's, it's a big thing. We all want to fit in. We all want to belong. We all want to and are willing to compromise parts of ourselves in order to be acceptable to a bigger group of people. We are social creatures. And so we are willing to compromise chunks of ourselves in order to fit in. Because to belong means I'm going to show up as I am and I'm going to be acceptable. And Mormonism makes it very clear to you that you are not acceptable the way you are. So you better get compromising. Nice jacket. Yeah, I've ordered a few new jackets. Um, I, it's a nice look, I think, for me is the, just a t-shirt, solid color with jackets over top. And uh, this jacket cost me about 25 bucks on Amazon. It was cheap enough. And I love hot pink. Uh, when I started to lose my testimony in Mormonism, when I started to have serious doubts and I was starting to push back against things, uh, I started wearing colored shirts and I always wore the pastels, the pinks and the blues and the 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 you know, oranges and greens and just the pastel shades of those colors. Um, got a few more on the way. So solid color t-shirt with just a little jacket over top. Thank you for, for the compliment. Appreciate that. When it comes to an Orthodox Mormon choosing between two, yeah, it's been choosing between two options about right and wrong. There is no choice about right and wrong. No, it's, it's the high, it's hell or the highway, right? It's Mormonism and nothing else. I'm still angry that I spent my entire life uh, looking externally when all that I needed was inside of me all along. Yeah, I hear you, Diane. I wasted decades reading and rereading, memorizing and rememorizing Mormonism, which now on this side of life, other than helping each of you to deconstruct, in my own world might be the most useless thing inside my brain. And had I known and had encouragement to go study the wisdom in the world, I might be way further ahead. And then again, maybe I wouldn't. Maybe the pain and trauma of Mormonism was exactly the catalyst I needed in order to start discovering what was really important and to really make a concerted effort to learn what it means to be a good human being and to start to really tackle my own mechanisms and to do some serious shadow work. Uh, Tom said, it's only a question of that, which choice will help me get to the celestial kingdom in my family. Nothing else matters. Yep. Clark says the church is a con man selling you a bogus product then giving you a bogus test that their bogus product can pass. No one ever thinks to question and test the test itself. Yep. Uh, Tom says, do a Bill Real RFM conversation about the history of how Joseph Smith evolved from grace. It's evolved from grace to works in his preaching. Yeah, maybe some point we will tackle something like that. Diane says, people on the outside knew way more about my religion than I did as a lifelong believing Mormon. Amen. Um, back in my hometown of Sandusky, Ohio, one of the cities nearby was Huron, H-U-R-O-N, Ohio 
there's the university there that I went to college at, Bowling Green State University. It's their Firelands campus. Firelands used to be a community college. Then it became a off-campus of Bowling Green State University. That's where I went to, uh, to college. And when I was an adult, I was a Mormon, believing I was um, either in the bishopric or a bishop of my ward. I ended up doing a non-credit class for senior citizens where I went into Bowling Green State University and uh, taught two two-hour classes on Mormonism. The room was packed. Um, missionaries came, uh, counselor in the bishopric came, and uh, I put on these two two-hour discussions. The first two hours was on the history of the church, and the second two hours was on the doctrine of the church. And I knew Mormonism better than anyone in the room, but the other people in the room knew Mormonism better in some ways, at least, than the missionaries and the counselor and the bishopric who were with me. And I, to this day, I find that dynamic interesting. People, you know, you take a group of people, there, there's going to be people in that group who know the messiness of Mormonism, who aren't Mormon at all. And often inside the church, we are so insulated from reality, we're so insulated from the history that we don't even know the mess even exists. I never had a shelf. I had an empty closet that I threw all the doctrine in that I didn't actually believe. And then one day I opened that closet and saw how full it actually was. It was everything. Yeah. Maven, I'm glad you joined us too, by the way. I'm late, so catching up, but I can't help but think about what John DeLynn has noticed about teens and young adults growing up without religion are prime candidates for falling for cults. Yeah. I was a young adult who had grown up without religion. And so nobody had told me why not to trust religions. And I didn't have any personal experiential data having dealt with them myself. So yeah, very much. I've got to go, Bill Real. You thinking out loud teaches others how to think rationally. Holy Ghost obligates rational thinking is of the devil. So you modeling rational thought and good results is good. Uh, I'm going to skip through here a little bit. Um, my dad is a convert, mom TBM. My mom wouldn't let my dad or uh, us kids see his family because they weren't Mormon. 50 years later, my dad has finally started to see his family without my mom. Yeah. I'm from Ohio. Tom says, I'm from Ohio. I left my entire family behind to go Mormon in Utah. I broke the hearts of my dad, my grandparents, my aunts, everyone. And I felt justified doing it because the Holy Ghost told me that being Mormon was true. Uh, Tom says, I learned to forgive myself, but they still suffered a lifelong loss of son and grandson. Uh, Sploinky Doinky Hole. Thank you very much for the $5. Uh, much appreciated. Your story feels all too familiar, Bill. Thanks for sharing. Are you kidding me? I would love for there to be really a God. That would be amazing. It's lonely letting him go and realizing you have to rely on yourself. Lonely and intimidating. Uh, amen, Bill. Uh, Never Mose must look at us so amazed at the crazy. Yeah, I... 
it, it is interesting, right? Like um, there's this idea that when I go on to Facebook and I post a meme or when I go on to ex Mormon Reddit and post a, a comment that somehow my entire day is so filled with anger and, uh, and um, investment in Mormonism that I must be unhappy and hence I need to um, let it go and be happy. And what people don't realize is, you know, putting a meme on Facebook takes me one minute and they have no idea what the rest of my day looks like. And for those who have hung around me, uh, maybe if you're still here, you can put a comment in because we just hung out this weekend. Um, do I look unhappy at all? Is there anything about me in my life that seems unhappy? Now, life has ups and downs. And I will say some people struggle with depression or anxiety or intrusive thoughts or negative feelings. And that's not bad. And so I don't mean that when I say this, I simply say, when anyone tells my story and says, Bill real isn't happy, they don't have a freaking clue of my life. Cause I, I got to believe I'm one of the happiest people around. Um, I'm having a great time and life is good and I'm enjoying it. And every day is a fun adventure. Uh, I'm here to share in your family hurt. I have children still in. I understand your experience. It's real. Uh, Mr. Croissant again says, the idea of having someone invest in you and interested in all your doings is comforting. I always had a good relationship with God as a believer. That was a hard relationship to let go. Um, The high priest quorum will tell that father-in-law, my, my father-in-law with that experience, that what he did was the right thing. He's the patriarch. He has to take his family to celestial kingdom, even if he never talks to his daughter again, even if he never talks to his son-in-law again. Are these in-laws married? My mother-in-law and my father-in-law are married. Me and my wife are married. Yeah. Um, Bill satisfies me on his own. That's some good reel for the day. Uh, let's. I'll move through here. I'll try to get towards kind of the end. Um, Tom Trails, thanks again for the five bucks. We talked about that one already. Uh, let me get here to the bottom. Uh, Mark, thank you for the $10. Uh, we will. We'll keep doing these conversations. They may be a little mundane at, at times, and uh, they're somewhat unprepared by me, so forgive me. All right, so um, there. Bill, you certainly seem happy in your family as well. I know for sure myself I'm happier than ever. And so thank you, Maven, for adding your testimony. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, shall every word be established. Uh, Paul here says, I'm not defending, but my intent is to say go deeper. Understand thyself and what is deep subconscious beliefs that we are addicted to. I'm, I'm a big fan of that. As long, uh, Paul, as you're not saying that the end conclusion involves wrapping my hands around religion again. Because uh, that's not going to happen. And the same tools I used to deconstruct Mormonism, I took back into the historical Jesus and Christianity. I took into uh, Islam. I took into the Bhagavad Gita. 
Um, I took it into the sacred text in religions of the world. And what I find is it's all myth, all of it. And beyond religion, it's all myth. Uh, what do you say to TBMs who say you can leave the church, but you can't stay away from it because anti-Mormons can't stop talking about it? Here's what I'll say. I invested all of my time, energy, resources, my very identity into being a Mormon. I was required and I gave up tons of money. I gave up tons of time. I, I uh, reiterated and perpetuated unhealthy beliefs and absolute BS. So when I discover that I've been lied to, you sure as hell better expect people who learned that they've been lied to and the entire thing was a deception and they were never given a safe space to think about and wrestle with and critically think about it within their believing Mormon paradigm, that you ought to expect those people to want to do something along the same lines, but from the opposite point of view now, like I'm going to expose it. You know, we, we don't get mad at Leah Remini for exposing Scientology but we're pissed at John DeLynn for exposing Mormonism. And the reality is anytime somebody pulls the wool over your eyes and deceives you and tricks you and takes away your time, energy, identity, resources, family relationships, you better expect people to be a little pissed and to go after you with all they've got. So if you don't want people to do that, then you better start being nice and you better start making uh, information available to people and you better start encouraging people to look into that information, no matter where it's at. And you better start apologizing for when you screw up. Ivana, thank you very much for the $25. That means a lot. Uh, we're wrapping up here, guys. Um, tough guys wear pink. I love wearing pink. I've wore pink for about a decade now. Um, and I'll finish here. Uh, Moksha Raver, a God full of goodness is an alternative to Mormonism. No need to let go of science and rationality. I, I kind of disagree with you. I can't make any view of God make sense. And if you have a view of God that does let me know, the only way I can make it work is if God is just the creative energy in the universe and has no actual consciousness. And if you do that, I can make that work. Uh, sorry, I kind of play with my mic there and probably making some noise on your guys' end. Um, I can make that work, but that's not going to that's not going to create a church on Sunday and create a, a deeply obedient congregation. So anyway, guys, thanks for listening. This is an episode of Mormon Discussion Podcast, and uh, we'll keep having these conversations and uh Keep un unraveling different ideas in Mormonism to, to help people deconstruct. And uh, I just want to say uh, thank you for tuning in. We got up to about 120, 130 people listening live. And I just want to say thank you to all of you uh, for listening. To those who donate, thank you very much. It is donations that are going to keep helping us create content, keep help us bringing more podcasters on keep creating more voices and more approaches to helping each of you have the tools and the safe space to think about all these things and to deconstruct whatever isn't working and whatever isn't healthy. Uh, have a fantastic, uh, fantastic uh, day.